was like, that's it. Okay, thank you, Mary, for leading me to the true presence of Jesus. That was what it took for me to believe. Welcome to the I Am Here podcast, a space to be inspired by stories of men and women who have found in the Eucharist the strength and purpose for their lives. I'm your co-host, Leah Butalid, and I've been gathering stories for IamHere.org. And I'm Father Mario Amore, a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and today we welcome Olivia McCarthy to share her story. Welcome, Olivia. Hi. Thanks, thanks for, for having me. Of course. Thanks for joining us. We're so pumped to dive into your story, unpack what the Lord has done. Uh, for our listeners to get to know you a little bit more, can you share a little bit about uh, your home parish and what part of town you're from here in the Detroit area? Sure. Um, I'm from Troy, and I belong to St. Anastasia with my family, and I think I've been a parishioner there. Oh, hang on. We joined just before my second daughter was born. So um, it's been almost eight years. It'll be eight years in November. Beautiful. And you're a wife and a mother. Yes. And does, uh, does being a wife and a mother consume all of your time? Do you work inside of the home, outside the house, a little bit of both? I have done, you know, over, it's been 11 years this May for my husband and I. And um, throughout that tenure of our marriage, I have done a lot of different things. Um, <laughs> right now, I'm very happy as a home mom. Um, a student one time called it an at-home mom, and I really liked that because like, I don't just stay at home. Sure. <laughs> I'm at home most <laughs> of the time. Um, there's a lot of running kids around right oh, now, wow. so a lot of appointments. Um, but yeah, I've worked inside the house, outside the house. Um, I've had various positions. One time I even worked for a few years at St. Anastasia, which was amazing. Um, and then having my family continue to grow, it was time to step back and and be mostly at home. Wow. So a little bit of everything, really. Beautiful, wonderful vocation. And how many children do you have? What ages? Um, okay. I have, <laughs> I have Give four us the born right now. Um, the fifth one is is coming in June. Um, so I have four, and they are, well, I guess I have five. Um, I have four who are born, and the first is nine, and then seven, and then four, and then my baby who isn't the baby for too much longer is almost two. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so very, very, very busy. I'm sure. I'm sure. That's a lot of fun too. It is. It's very fun. Very rewarding. And how good. long have you been married? Um, it'll be 11 years in May. Beautiful. Yeah. So good. And so you're from this area originally, but you also did a little time in Texas. Is that correct? Yes. Um, so my husband and I, we actually met at Michigan State um, and we met like our first our first week of classes. And um, I had a education degree the whole time. I went in, I never changed my major. He went in with like a business focus. So we only overlapped in one of those classes that now I realize are silly and are <laughs> um, like the prereq classes that have nothing to do with what you're actually there to study for. Um, but we ended up having a sociology class together oh and we parked our bikes next to each other at the same bike loop. And I just looked up at him and I was like, that's so weird. That guy could be my husband. <laughs> oh my and gosh. he he looked at me and thought I was beautiful. And I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell him he's wrong. That's so. like a movie. <laughs> I know. It is. I yes. love that. Just one of the many many ways that God's hand has just been like right there my whole life. It's just incredible. The more I get to know him, and the more I think back on it. So um, we met at Michigan State. We were friends. We started dating. Um, and then we got married, and we had to do a graduate year, each of us. So I was in the teaching program, which meant that I had to do a year where I paid them to student teach, oh. um, which was a lot of financial hardship, but it was okay because God took care of us. 
um, and my husband was getting his master's that year. So um, during that year, we were newlyweds, and I was like, hey, let's go on an adventure. Let's, like, before we settle down and have a family, let's, like, let's move somewhere else and try something different. So I convinced my husband that we should move to Texas because it was, like, this super cool place, and it was really different. And um, <laughs> my husband has lived all over the world, and I had wow. only ever lived here. So I was like, I, I want to go somewhere else. I, wa- I want to try something else before we have a family. <laughs> um, but God had other plans, and so we set everything in motion to move to Texas at the end of that graduate year, about a year after we were married. And um, we ended up getting pregnant with our oldest just a couple months into our marriage. And so it was too late to, like, back out of our move. Like, he'd already made a plan with a company to join at a certain time. And, I mean, maybe we could have, but it wasn't a great way to start your career. So we packed up with a one-month-old and moved to Texas, which was totally not what we thought was what we wanted. And it really wasn't what we wanted. We wanted to have a couple years of being, you know, married and together before having a family and then move back once we were ready to have our family um, to be closer to parents and, and sisters and, you know, all those people that support you when you have a family. Um, so anyways, God just was like, nope, you're having a baby. And we're like, okay, because we're having a baby and we're moving to Texas. So I, I moved to Texas with a one-month-old, uh, which I don't recommend moving when you have a one-month-old <laughs> oh, ever. Gosh. That's just not not up there on things for you guys to do. But um, <laughs> anyways, it was it's really beautiful because my husband looks back on that time and he says things like, that was a mistake. We shouldn't have done it. And I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, no, that was probably the most beautiful thing that we ever did in our lives. Because when we moved to Texas, I didn't have a job. I wasn't about to leave my baby. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody. Like I was there for the adventure. But what ended up happening was there wasn't an adventure that I thought it was going to be because it was the totally different adventure <laughs> of having a baby. Um, and I ended up just having um, Gabriella as my oldest, having Gabriella, it made me feel like, well, where am I going to meet other people who are very young moms? Mm-hmm. And so I turned to the church and I was like, okay, I'm going to find a church with a school and we're going to go to mass and we're going to meet people. And that's what I'm going to do. And I made it my mission. Amazing. The first parish we went to, I ended up meeting the woman who became like my best friend in Texas. In the, in the bathroom during the homily, changing a diaper. <laughs> she was changing her, her son, who was two months older than Gabriella. She was changing his diaper, and I was waiting for the changing table. Oh. Um, and so she just started talking to me, and we became really good friends, and we go for walks, and she just, like, welcomed me with open arms and taught me so much about Texas and where to go. And, like, <laughs> yes, it's actually weird that you can get really good food at a gas station, but you should because it's great barbecue. <laughs> so, like, I learned all these really awesome things. Um, and before... Before you um, moved to Texas, were you I- involved in in the Catholic community? Yes. Um, okay. And so, what was your faith life like um, t- prior to moving to Texas? And then, and then, how was it? How was it strengthened while being there? Oh my gosh. Okay. So there have been so many things that have happened in the past <laughs> eleven years that sometimes I forget part of the story. Um, so I graduated from Catholic schools in the Archdiocese of Detroit. I went K through 12, so I got 13 solid good years. Um, despite all that, I still never had had a real personal encounter with Jesus. Um, my husband ended up going through RCIA that year we were married. 
Um, and so we were students at Michigan State and through um, St. John's up there, he went through RCIA. So we were involved in the faith, um, but it wasn't like this personal deep conviction. It was kind of just like, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. This is the life you grew up with. And we knew that we wanted to raise our children Catholic, um, but we weren't like, I don't know, super invested. There was a lot that I knew on a textbook level from 13 years of education in the Catholic schools, but there wasn't a deep personal relationship with the Lord. That was what was missing. And so um, that is really where I think the the fruit of moving to -hmm. Texas um, really comes in because I was kind of like stripped down to you know, the things that you rely on, your family, your friends, just even the culture. The culture is different when you're a thousand miles away, even though it's the same. Well, Texas might disagree, even though it's the same nation, um, you know, same country. Um, but, you know, it's it's so different when you have nothing familiar to you. And then on top of it, you have a brand new baby and your husband's working these super long hours. He's a he's a CPA. Um, so those first couple of years were hard with the super long hours during tax season. Um, and so I think that was really just the, the big blessing for me was that I didn't have a lot of familiarity and that allowed the Lord to really just like penetrate into my life. And when I started looking for friendship and I started looking for a place to belong, he was there. He was mm-hmm. the answer. And um, I was able to turn back to that because what was familiar to me, what was the same in Texas and in Michigan was the mass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a place of familiarity. That was a place where I knew what was going on. I knew what to expect. Um, and of course, every parish does things a little differently, right? But I also still knew I was going to receive the Eucharist, still knew I could receive sacraments, still knew that there was something beautiful happening, even if I wasn't entirely convinced that it was true because at that point I really wasn't um, convinced that the Eucharist was truly Jesus's real presence. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I was. <laughs> so what happened after that chance encounter at the baby changing table in the bathroom that oh day? Gosh. So she's still one of my favorite people, um, but uh, you know, it's just, it's beautiful. We went, we went for walks. We went to local parks. We went for walks and we got to know each other and I had a friend which was so beautiful um and she had actually gone to that parish her whole life um so she was like my in (laughs) you know like she knew everything about that parish um and it was just it was wonderful that she was so willing to to share with me but what happened after that is i was like okay that was very successful i have one friend I would like more than one friend. I don't need many, but like somewhere around five sounds good to me. You know, like I don't, I don't need thousands, but like five friends to talk to. That that sounds about right for me. Um, anyway, so I looked in the church bulletin paper, and I was like, okay, maybe there's something going on that I can do here that I can meet some other, mm-hmm. um, some other young women, some other young moms. And so this is a couple weeks into us um, being parishioners at our new parish in Texas, and they had a women's retreat. And then this was so important. Um, my baby, when we moved, she was a month old. So she's like less than three months old at this point. And I nurse my babies. And so I was like, oh, that's amazing. But it's at our bedtime. And right in the advertisement, right there in the paper, they said, nursing babies welcome. I was like, oh, man, I have no excuse not to go. <laughs> like, I kind of, like, I'm very 
scared about like driving all the way in Texas. Like the highways are bigger. It's late. I'm going to be out by myself with this new baby. What if no one's nice? But then I was like, you know what? They, they literally said, I have to bring my baby. Oh my <laughs> and it's like, okay, I'll bring my nursing baby and I'm sure I'll meet some other women. Um, and I ended up meeting lots of women who were just so beautifully grounded in their faith. And what this ended up being was it was a it was like a night of recollection. It was essentially a mini retreat for women, just women. And it was a praise and worship with a testimony. And I had never been to one that was so intimate and beautiful. I'm assuming I went to Eucharistic adoration during my 10 years of 13 years of Catholic school. Uh, but I can't say anything really made an impression on me um, during that time. And so this made a huge impression on me. It was in the most beautiful chapel ever. And um, so it's like attached to the the main church, but you know, off to the side. And the whole ceiling is just painted and it's just gorgeous. And they have a picture of Christ the Good Shepherd above the altar mm-hmm. that's just um, like on the on the ceiling. Um, and it's just absolutely so like just beautiful and welcoming and just I was just amazed as I walked in. And the thing that I noticed was these women when I walked into this, reflection night, this little mini retreat for women, was that they were veiling. Mm-hmm. And I had never actually seen women veil. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? What, what does that mean for, for someone who's listening who might not know what veiling is? Oh, they were covering their heads um, with these like lace. They're almost like not handkerchiefs, but they're very beautiful lace scarves almost that women use to cover their heads as a sign of uh, reverence. But I was still of the belief that, like, wait a minute, Vatican II changed that. These people are religious fanatics. Oh, my goodness, these people are crazy. What have I done? Um, So I had all these conflicting emotions about being there. And something just moved my heart when Jesus was in the monstrance. um, Because up till that point, I wasn't entirely sure that Jesus was truly present in the Eucharist. And I looked around at these women who were extremely reverent, kneeling. There were no kneelers in the chapel, so they're just like kneeling on this cold stone floor Mm -hmm. with their heads all covered that I thought was weird. And I'm looking around and I'm holding my baby who's like kind of fussy, but kind of needs to eat, but doesn't. And so I'm just kind of holding her and looking. And um, I see these women and I just think, oh my goodness, like God, please, I want a faith like that. Mm -hmm. I want a faith like that. It was so beautiful. If you have never seen women pray quietly, silently, reverently together. Like, it is the most beautiful thing. Um, And I kind of felt like an outsider looking in, and I didn't want to look that way anymore. I didn't want to feel that way anymore. And so I was asking very much for for a faith like that. And so that was my prayer, as I'm holding this slightly fussy baby kind of bouncing her and, um, you know, looking around at these women. I'm like, Lord, please, please, I want a faith like that. And I just remember looking at the monstrance, which, you know, of course, has Jesus contained inside of it. And I'm just saying, Lord, I want a faith like that. Mm. And I think that's really where the turning point for my story story is, is that I had to be open to wanting a faith like that. Um, And then for some reason, I had to ask specifically for it. Um, But, you know, I did. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really where just all of these graces, I can just see how God has been my whole life. He's just been kind of guiding me, pushing me towards him a little more, a little more. Um, and then one day it was like, no, this is where I belong. This is what I want. I want to mm-hmm. truly believe this faith. I think it's beautiful. I think it's wonderful. This is my home. This is my comfort. This is my familiarity in this, you know, strange land. Um, and 
And that is really where I started to dive deeper into the faith because I wanted to believe it so much more. And God just kind of helped me meet more people and helped me study more and helped me get to this point where I was able to ask even more with even more confidence for him to show me, show me what was true. Yeah. So when you were there seeing these women, what was it about them in the way that they entered into prayer that was so striking to you? What was different about that experience that made you kind of pray that prayer of, of wanting to believe? Well, it was so obvious that they believed. Hmm. It was so obvious that they were 100% in. They were, you know, they weren't even 100% and they were 150% in. Like they were all in. There was nothing being held back. They were wow. truly united in their prayer with the Lord. And as somebody who felt like an outsider looking in, even I could see that. Um, and I guess I knew enough about prayer and enough about the faith to know these people are not skeptical at all. These people are here. They are there praying. They are united with Jesus. Yeah. Like they are, their countenances kind of changed. Um, they were just beautiful. It's so attractive to see people truly unite themselves to the Lord. And I wish I had something better to say other than that. No, but like that's that's what I saw was just this extreme attractiveness of how beautiful these women were. And I wanted to be beautiful too. So yeah. we when we talk about evangelization, especially here in, in Detroit, but really all around the country, we live under this paradigm of encounter, grow, witness, mm-hmm. right? And so sometimes it can become um, maybe like catchphrasy to people and these are the buzzwords, but it, it, your story really shows us the, the importance of, of that progression. But even before that, what's so much a part of what we believe um, or how evangelization works is through the, the, the witness of others, but also that just initial, um, what we call like radical hospitality. And that can happen like collectively on the parish level, but even more, I think, on just on the individual personal relationship. And I think you have sort of two examples of, of people working in your life to help you bring you from one point to another. And you didn't even know it yes. at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's that accompaniment or maybe not even that just just that authentic friendship that developed between you and that the woman you met at the baby changing table yes you know like you started walking together and you know you were a part of the same church community and and that's what you needed at that time and that was the catalyst to kind of push you into more and then you went to the mom's group and then you saw these beautiful women witnessing to their faith again not even not even in word but just in the way in which they pray and so um, just, just to highlight the the importance of that uh, the witness of others in their own faith life and then just just those authentic friendships and relationships which are so important in bringing us to to an encounter with Jesus absolutely and I think about too a lot of the women that I met um, after that particular night of you know like praise and adoration, um, they ended up being maybe 10, 15 years older than me and much more established in their families. And so I was able to connect with these women who were, you know, down the road from me, but had lived through the teething and the sleepless nights and all of the struggles that I was going through, and they were able to 
answer my questions and guide mm-hmm. me and encourage me in a beautiful, holy way. Um, and so still, sometimes I think about it, I'm like, okay, what would Sharon do? Sharon with her eight kids. Like, how would Sharon's family approach this situation I'm going through? Just because she was this wonderful, holy woman who was, you know, down the road from me. She'd already lived what I was going through. And um, so I just, I'm so grateful for these models, even that God put in my life that I could just, we didn't become super close friends, but we were friendly enough that I could ask her a question Mm -hmm. or friendly enough that I could learn from how she was raising her family and think, I want to do that with my kids. I want to practice, you know, some form of liturgical living with my kids. I think that's beautiful and fun. Um, And so, yeah, absolutely. There were just so many people. And it's just amazing, you know, hindsight when you look back and you think, wow, God cares so much about me. Like, I can't believe he just oriented all of these things to line up so perfectly and to make such an impact in my life. And I'm just so grateful for it. God gave you who and what you needed at that time. Just a a lot of transition. Yeah. And after having, you know, being able to reflect on it, I realize even more so how much my whole life pushed me that way and how much more he's done even afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just like, wow, he never he never stops. Mm-hmm. He never stops lavishing love on you. He just keeps going. <laughs> and sometimes I really don't want to accept it because I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound appealing right now right. Um, because I'm stubborn and human. But he just continues to pour his love and grace on me, mm-hmm. um, even when I'd prefer it to be a situation where I didn't need so much grace. <laughs> That's awesome. So good. So good. So speaking of that grace, I would love to know how you went from wanting to believe in Jesus's real presence to actually believing. What what took you from the place of praying that prayer to the place of conviction that you're at now? Well, Jesus did it, <laughs> but uh, he he did it with he did it through someone very special. He did it through Mary, mm. um, and so you know I had grown up going to Catholic schools, at some point you realize the rosary is a special thing um, in 13 years of Catholic education. And I had prayed it before, and I kind of felt drawn to it before, but this time I started listening to Catholic radio, and I started learning so much from these women that I was talking about who, you know, were modeling things for me. And I ended up finding an app that was the Catholic radio station, and they had... um, they have a 27-minute rosary where the priest does little reflections um, before each of the mysteries. And so I ended up starting to pray the rosary daily. And then I learned about novenas. And I was like, ooh, this is cool. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's see what happens here. Um, and so I had been praying the rosary and just really trying to grow in my faith. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask for what I want. And so I asked Mary in, you know, the petition before your rosary, I asked her to please help me believe in the real presence in the Eucharist. Like, mm-hmm. And I didn't have any expectation for how or what or anything. I had, I had no expectation, no request other than just help me to believe. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness, she answered. She was like, yes, I will help you do that. <laughs> um, and so I prayed, I prayed my novena. And it wasn't like it was, you know, nine days after or anything. Um, I don't remember the specific day, but I had this 
very, very bizarre day. And anyone who's listening to this who's a mother um, or ever been around small children for any amount of time will realize this day was just like, God made this day happen. Because it was a day where dinner was in the crock pot and all the laundry was done and put away and the baby was asleep and I had literally nothing to do. <laughs> and oh I was like, that in and of itself is a miracle right there, right? Um, so I decided that like any tired mother, I was going to take a nap because that's what you should do if you have nothing else to do. <laughs> I am a firm believer that naps are wonderful. Um, so anyways, I decided I was gonna take a nap. So I laid down and I just remember I fell asleep like instantly. And I must have been asleep for 10 minutes, but it was the most peaceful sleep I've ever had. And during that sleep, I had a dream. And the dream was of just this dark room. Um, and there was, you know, it was like kind of stone. Um, and it was, it was dark, but there was also a altar and a monstrance. And the monstrance had no gems, nothing other than just gold. And I'm still looking for this monstrance. So anyways, I like every time I go into a church, I, I look around for it. Um, I've never seen it. And in it was, you know, the Eucharist in there. And then on top and coming down in front and along the sides was this beautiful translucent blue fabric. And the fabric did not in any way take away from the light coming from the monstrance. Um, it just highlighted it, which is weird because you think about like a veil, like mm -hmm. something on top of something, mm -hmm. you would think, oh, well, physically that would that would black light. Right. This didn't. Um, and so I just was amazed at how beautiful it was. And um, when I woke up, I just knew. I said, okay, that that's it. Thank wow. you. You showed me. This is real. This is true. Um, you know, and later talking with a priest as I was trying to unpack and understand what I'd seen, he goes, well, Mary is the first tabernacle. And I was like, that's it? Wow. Okay, thank you, Mary, for leading me to the true presence of Jesus. That mm -hmm. was what it took for me to believe. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I've never seen this tab or I've never seen this monstrance. I've never seen that fabric anywhere. I've never seen that chapel area thing that I was, you know, having a vision of. Um, I say that, you know, like seeing, um, not like <laughs> I was having you no know, an official vision. Um, but I just, I've never seen those things before. And so I knew that I'd just been given a glimpse of something very special. And um, anyways, that's actually why our second daughter's name is Maria. We oh. named her Mar after Mary. Um, so anyways, that's just, that's that's how Jesus and his mom did it. They tag teamed that one, I guess. <laughs> that's how God works. He can work. He works even through dreams. I mean, we, we can see that uh, throughout the scriptures, you know, with, with St. Joseph and um, and others, and so that was a, a grace that, that God gave you in that in that unexpected moment of of quiet um, to to bring you to this place of deeper faith. And yeah, we just uh, thank God for all of those graces. Um, so so then moving out of that time, so you, you've come to to sort of almost a sudden um, new newfound belief. In, in the Eucharist. So, so how did that change then the way in which you approached the Eucharist, you know, uh, receiving the Eucharist at Mass, or, or did it move you to go to adoration more? Yes. Yes, it did. Um, <clears throat> it moved me to go to confession. It moved oh. me to um, try to repair some of the things in my life where I'd really kind of fallen away from what was true and good and beautiful, and it really made me want to be closer to Jesus all the time. 
And it's funny because my life is so different now that I have, you know, almost five kids than when I just had one. Um, but it's been a part of my life for a long time that, you know, if I can, I stop in at the Adoration Chapel just to say hi. Um, and I've just always ended up turning to the Eucharist when I've had extreme trials. And so um, I ended up having two miscarriages mm-hmm. shortly after my dream that Mary helped wow. me to see that the truth and beauty of Jesus is real presence. And during that very difficult time, um, I went to the chapel and I prayed and I just kept telling God how mad I was that he was <laughs> making me suffer and asking him to be with me in it. And, you know, then then he was. And after just a whole nother story of being, you know, led to the right doctor at the right time, who was a wonderful Catholic OB-GYN um, in Texas. And he was the one who was able to help my husband and I actually have our second daughter mm-hmm. um, after going through these fertility struggles. And so it was just like, oh my gosh, look at look at how much God cares for you. Look at what happens when you keep coming back to the Eucharist. He's there. Mm-hmm. He's always there. He's always there. And even when it feels terrible and hard and awful, um, he's there. So we um, we ended up moving back. And a couple of years ago, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And um, so we've been parishioners at St. Anastasia for a while when this happens. And um, my dad has since passed. Um, but we... I took him to the Adoration Chapel at St. Anastasia, and, you know, sometimes when I'm in there, I just kind of sit in the pew that we sat in, and I just feel him, kind of just feel his little presence, his little hug um, right there. And so, yeah, I guess there's a lot of times where I go and I sit before the Lord and I tell him how mad I am about it um, because I don't like to suffer and I don't like pain like most people, but I keep coming back. and so I think that's that's the true that's the true gift is that I might not want to be there. I might not like what is happening, you know, earthside, but I know what the truth is and that's been a guiding light and a and a real force for these really really terrible trials that have come my way. And I think that's what's so beautiful about uh, adoration is that everyone who has experienced it for themselves, everyone who has shared their story with us, just recounts just how um, just how present they felt the Lord with them. And it wasn't necessarily that they felt the Lord speaking to them profoundly, but it was just his presence. And it's it's the beautiful part of our faith and the truth of um, Christ's presence with us. We hear you know that that the Lord is compassionate, that he suffers with us. In, in the trials that we face, um, and that he's with us in the joys as well. And so just to, to hear your story, to, to bring those places of, of just hurt and sadness there, um, again, you, you didn't necessarily hear the Lord speaking to you in one way or another, but you, you felt his presence, that in that the Lord, he was just with you. He was, he was there and he was suffering with you and he was listening with you. And, and isn't that the greatest thing that we give to one another? when we're suffering, that it's not necessarily the words that we speak, but it's just the fact that we're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and another can sense our presence and, and just the heart that we bring. Um, so God's so good. Mm-hmm. He's so good. He is. He is. And it, it changed the way I approached Mass and receiving the Eucharist at Mass, too. It, mm-hmm. it just changes your reverence. And, um, you know, speaking of my dad, I just, I feel so close to him mm-hmm. at Mass now. Um, 
I'm so grateful that my dad is really the one who, you know, worked. My mom was an at-home mom too for mm-hmm. many years, and then she did go back to work when I was in school. But um, my dad was the one who worked and sacrificed to send my sisters and I to Catholic schools, and um, he's really the reason for the the grounding I had in my faith, even though I needed to come into it as an adult on my own. I reached that point where you have to make a choice. Is this what I believe? Can I believe this? And then, you know, I asked and God helped me to realize this is true and I believe this and I believe this with all my heart and soul and mind and um, I'm going to live my life like this is true because it is true. Um, But, you know, I just, I feel so close to my dad at Mass. um, And I'm glad you said that because that's another just truths of our faith that there's no place that we can be closer Mm -hmm. to those that have gone before us than in the Holy Eucharist. It's the place where heaven meets earth. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, when, when we're missing those that we love, that's, that's the first place that we should go Mm -hmm. to to encounter the Lord in his presence. And, uh, we pray theirs with the communion of saints. Absolutely. Yes. And it's just, it's, it's painful sometimes, and it hurts a lot. Sometimes losing someone you love like that is never easy or fun. Um, Mm -hmm. But the fact that I just kept going back, I can see now he wasn't, he didn't abandon me, even Mm -hmm. though it felt like it in the moment. He was with me. (laughs) And even though sometimes I kind of was, you know, being childish and wanted to Mm -hmm. push him away, I didn't want the comfort that he was giving me during that time always. But it was there, was Mm -hmm. there for me to take it. And so I think I just, when I think about adoration, I think about the Eucharist, I think about you know, even just stopping in and saying hello in the tabernacle um, when, you know, Jesus isn't in the monstrance, he's always there. Hmm. He's always so ready for us. Like, I'm just, I'm so grateful to have a Lord who waits so patiently for us. Hmm. And, um, you know, having all these children, I realize how how often I behave like them towards the Lord. Um, sometimes I'm a little bit like, I don't want to do that. And other times I, I go and I open my heart and I just feel so relieved and I think about how you know like when my little two-year-old son comes up to me and wants to give me a hug it's not perfect it's very sloppy sometimes sometimes there's a little hair grabbing and it kind of is painful Uh, but he it always fills me with such joy and I have to imagine that's the sort of joy that the Lord feels whenever I go visit him Um, so I, I try to do it yeah. And so speaking of your little ones, can you share a little bit about um, your experience of going to Mass and Adoration with them, how that has kind of, you know, changed or shifted things for you um, and how you seek to model the reverence that you, you have for our Lord? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so having my older children, we have been, you know, Sunday Mass goers ever since I've had this deep encounter this personal belief and so it's just part of our family it's part of our life we go on sundays we go on holy days of obligation we do what we're supposed to do um and it's beautiful because now that my oldest has received her first eucharist and gone to confession we'll go to confession together occasionally um and it always fills me with such joy when i see her receive um the eucharist it always makes me just so so full of life for her like so just happy that she has that life within her um it's crazy. A lot of times I end up in the cry room with the little one, um, or my husband and I will split up who has the, the crazy toddler and who sits in the you know main area of the church with the older girls who can behave themselves a little bit better um, and, you know, to varying degrees of success. And I kind of have my code, my mom code of pointing and 
the finger <laughs> at my lips, like, Mm-mm, stop talking. Um, and, you know, they, they know. They figured it out at this point. They're smart kids. They're good. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I've been doing, you know, when they're toddlers and they're old enough to really focus, and even when they're not old enough to focus, during that moment of consecration, I try to get their attention, and I just point to let them see the beauty and the, the goodness and the truth of it. Um, so that's kind of been my approach. And to also just not be overbearing necessarily, but just like, oh, this is just what we do. This is who we are. We're McCarthy's. We are Catholic. We go to church. We do this. Um, interestingly, my husband and I send our kids to public school. And it was so sweet when my daughter was doing her second grade year and preparing for First Communion, one of the teachers said, oh, and this was during COVID, so it was all online, so I could hear what was going on in the classroom, which is very interesting. Uh, But one of the teachers was talking about diversity, and she said, oh, well, you know, someone might be Jewish or someone might be Catholic. And my little Gabrielle raises her hand. She goes, I'm Catholic. I'm going to make my First Communion. And then, like, six other kids in the class raise their hands (laughs) and start talking about it. And I thought, look at you go, God. Thank you for that. Um, so it's not perfect, it's messy, but it's made an impression in some way. So cool. I have to think it's working yeah. um, to have my kids just know the faith. Right now for religious education at St. Anastasia, they're um, going through the creed. And so I'm laughing because both of my older girls who are enrolled in religious education, they know the creed word for word. And so each month we do a different section of the creed and I'll just start saying it, and they just jump in. <laughs> I'm like, okay, see, it doesn't have to be lectures at the kids all the time, but just taking them and letting them see the Lord can be enough. Yeah. Um, I'll stop into the Adoration Chapel if I'm one-on-one with them sometimes, and just very various little things, like waving to the tabernacles as we ca- pass a Catholic church when mm-hmm. we're driving, just stuff like that. Yeah, those it. examples are, are so important, you know, that parents give to their children. If it's important to you, it's gonna be important to them. And so there's nothing that can can substitute for that. Just finally here, what? Uh, so you came from a point where you were questioning, or um, you know, maybe had a little bit of unbelief about the the real presence of the Lord in the Eucharist, to a place of belief by the grace of God. Um, so what what would your final comments be to to somebody who might be struggling? Oh man, I've struggled with so many things over the years, and I anticipate I will continue to struggle. I think. If I could just say one thing, it would be to be open to what the Lord is putting in front of you, Mm -hmm. Um, which I've already said, I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. I don't like it when I lose someone I love. But in being open to the fact that the Lord is with you in all those things, it changes the whole experience. And it doesn't make it better um, because it doesn't always fix it, but it makes it tolerable in the fact that like this horrible crushing grief you might be feeling for these different experiences in your life all of a sudden there's someone there helping to carry it and that can really make that can really make who you are as a person so much more obvious to others and I think that if you're just willing to let the Lord be with you then you're doing what you need to do beautiful Beautiful. Thank you so much, Olivia, for joining us and sharing more of your story. It's really such a gift. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the I Am Here podcast. You can read and listen to more stories of people encountering Jesus in the Eucharist at IamHere.org. 
and we also invite you to share your story with us. I am here as a campaign by the Archdiocese of Detroit and Hallow app in support of the National Eucharistic Revival.